blessing to uh, be up in Grafton and uh, see familiar faces again. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, if you've uh, got your Bibles there, would you turn to Luke chapter 8? Luke and chapter 8. Thank you to our brother who read the Lord's Word earlier. Very much appreciated. Now, is, uh, I'm not sure, is there any uh, farmers here at, uh, at the church here, like full-time farmers that crop or something or anything like that? I don't know if there is anymore, but I preached this a few years ago, or a similar message to this, down at uh, Hannah's home church, and uh, where I think it's where all the Davies clan is, down at Benalla uh, this weekend, and uh, it's very dangerous preaching a message like this down there because they're all farmers and they're all cropping farmers so I was sort of you know preaching preaching away and several of them told me all of my mistakes that I made about cropping of modern day cropping one of uh one of Hannah's uncles was very happy to uh give me a bit of a lesson on how modern farming is done over back in bible days so uh but we're not going to go there today so thankfully hopefully i won't get into too much trouble but uh let's pray and uh we'll get into the lord's word today so dear lord we thank you uh, again for the the gorgeous day for the the wonderful sun and uh lord all your blessings to us lord we thank you that we can be in the lord's house uh, to hear from the word of god once again we pray that uh, lord you would help us now to lord put away the distractions uh, of the week and things that would draw our attention away from God's word. Lord, speak to us through your word. May it be strong and powerful this morning. Uh, Lord, may I be your mouthpiece. Give me uh, boldness as I preach. But Lord, most of all, may you be glorified uh, and honoured uh, this morning. And Lord, if anyone doesn't know Christ as their saviour, may they uh, deal with that today. We pray now that you would bless us as we look into your word. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, I'll just read that there to set, to set the situation for our message uh, this morning. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Jesus, uh, at this stage in his ministry, was deep into it. He'd been very busy, as it said there, going throughout all the regions of Galilee, preaching and teaching and doing ministries. And as we know with Jesus, the more he traveled around, the more miracles he did, uh, the more crowds were gathered to him. And every, every village he went through, there seemed to be more people that would follow him along and word would spread and uh, the crowd would just grow and grow. And it all accumulated uh, with or culminates with Jesus uh, teaching what he's about to teach. And, and this is referred to as the Sermon on the Seashore. We, we all know the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 5 and so on, where he teaches the Beatitudes and the like. But the Sermon on the Seashore is equally as interesting a message. And uh, the parallel passages to this are in uh, Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4, which I'll refer to, back to a couple of times as we go through. But Mark chapter 4 verse 1 says, And he began to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. Now, this picture is a, a quite a vibrant one that's painted here of Jesus uh, coming around. And there's so many people flocking to see him that 
he gets to a point where he's stuck between the people and the, the Sea of Galilee behind him. And uh, I don't know if anyone's been to, has anyone been to Israel? I don't know if any, I, I went uh, 10 years ago. And so I sort of have, I can picture how this happened. There's many spaces where there's all towns around and the sort of the, the land slopes down towards the seashore and creates a bit of a natural amphitheater if you can see the picture. But there were so many people that Jesus couldn't even stand on the seashore. He had to get in a boat and one of the fishing boats and push back a bit so he could actually project his voice out uh, to see everyone. And this is what the picture is with Jesus. There's all these people. And, and as with Jesus' normal preaching method, he preached parables. He taught using parables. Uh, I was going to say, if there's any kids here, there's not many here, so I won't embarrass them. But a parable is a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I'm sure you, most of you would understand that. But it was a, a way that Jesus could relate the kingdom of God very simply to the crowds round about him. And so that's what Jesus was planning to do. And as with normal, his parables, there was always a reason for the parables. If we remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, that was in reference to the, uh, the lawyer's question that came to Jesus and said, who's my neighbor? You know, Jesus, they were having a bit of a discourse and, and Jesus said, you know, you got to look after your neighbor. And he said, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus went on and gave the parable to explain very simply who was his neighbor. And in this case, while it's not expressly written, it was quite clear that Jesus was showing, gave this parable, gave it to the multitude, but this one was really for his disciples. And it was to show that there was this massive group of people there following him. But not all was as it seemed. All the people that were standing there watching him were not all guaranteed to be followers of Christ. And so Jesus was saying, hey, check this out, to the disciples I'm going to show you what's going on here. And so he goes in to tell the parable of the sower. Uh, now, many people would suggest that this parable should be called the parable of the soils because truly it is about how the soil of the heart. But Jesus himself refers to it as the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 18. So if he calls it the parable of the sower... I'm happy to go with that. I'm not going to override Jesus there. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 8, verse 5. It says, And the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up with it and choked it. Another fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit, and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, so the story that Jesus used was of a sower. Now, for us, it's a bit of a weird scene, this, because we don't see it that much in Australia, especially up and down the East Coast. We see a little bit of sowing, but not a lot. I know if you go west of here, is there much? I don't think there's much cropping around. Grafton, you go a bit north, I suppose there's a bit of sugar cane, but it's still a ways before you get to the true, true cropping farming. And for us in Australia, it's especially city dwellers, it's a little bit different for us that are sort of semi-country, but a lot of people have not seen sowing. 
these days it's all done by GPS and the, the, the tractors have all their, their stuff in and they, um, they know yields and they know everything about t uh, moisture profiles and everything in the soil is all digital. But back in Bible days, it was obviously very different. And I believe Jesus used this parable for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because this scene was not unusual for those days. To see someone out preparing a field and then sowing a field, you saw that everywhere you went. Also, many Bible commentators suggest that when Jesus was doing this, this tour, it fits in with the time period of a, a sowing season. So quite possibly during that very day or where they were actually having their, their meeting, shall we call it, they could look around and see people sowing. So this, this picture that he gave was not unusual. It was something they were all very familiar with. And, you know, we don't need to go into too much, uh, too much explanation of this parable because you've all heard it and it's quite simple. The, but as a very briefly, there's a field, it's all ploughed, it's ready to go. And the farmer comes out to sow his seed. We know they'd, they'd throw it out. There was no such thing as, as little machines that could just get one seed. They would just throw it out and spread it out best they could. It's ready to go to the ground and they spread it out. And accidentally, some lands on the wayside where it's trodden down. Some lands in rocky ground. Again, not ideal, but that's where it landed up. Thorns sprung up in other grounds that they thought was good ground. And then the final area was the good ground that sprung forth fruit. Pretty straightforward. It's not really you know, hard for us to understand this. Some of us are gardeners, I suppose, so we, we get the principles, but very, very simple parable. Jesus then goes on to give the significance of this parable to his disciples. Verse 9 and 10, we're not going to go there, but actually we're worried. Let's read verse 9. This is important, isn't it? The disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? The disciples heard this and they had no understanding. Could have been a lot of, I suppose, a lot of ideas behind this, but they had no idea what was going on. So they asked Jesus, what does this mean? And in verse 10, we won't go there, but Jesus goes in to give the reasons why he gives parables. And that's a whole nother message. You probably could do a series on that, why Jesus did and spoke in parables. If you want to have a look more into that, Mark, uh, Mark 4 and Matthew 13, Jesus gives a bit more discussion with the disciples over why he does what he does. But he goes on to explain the significance of this parable. And then we'll park here for a little while to, to understand what's going on. Verse number 11 says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The word there is the moral the sayings of God or the moral precepts given by God. These are the things that they knew from the law and, and from the Old Testament that they had. It's, uh, and it's also interesting to point out, sorry, that the, uh, the seed here is perfect. Because it is the word of God, the seed is perfect. Now, often when sowing in those days, the seed could get contaminated. As best they tried to have a pure strain, whether it was wheat or whatever, sometimes because they didn't have the modern methods, you could get contaminated seed or you could have these things. This is not the issue with this story. The word of God 
is not the issue. It's pure. It's perfect. And so whatever we do to, when we look at this, we can't question the seed as being the problem here. The seed didn't bring the thorns. The seed did not grow properly. Because given the right options and the right soil, the seed will always grow. And I'm thankful that we have the word of God that's still perfect for us these days and that's still reliable and that still can grow in our hearts. And I suppose that's why many people refer to this as the parable of the soils, because it's about how the seed is received in the heart, not how, uh, not, it's not about the seed at all. And quite interestingly here, there is no mention of, of the soil at this point, but quite clearly the soils that are coming are the hearts of man and how the heart of man receives it. It's very clear as we go on. And you know, many, one other thing before we actually get into the, the actual soils is many try to confuse this parable and to make it more complicated than it needs to be because they talk about numerical values because certain seeds land in certain areas. You know, there must be more people who are righteous than not righteous and there must be more people with better hearts than hard hearts and trying to explain that people are saved and not saved. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is purely giving an example to the disciples of the hearts of man and what type of hearts they are going to come across and what type of hearts are sitting out in the crowd that Jesus is talking to. It's not about numbers. It's not about trying to go, this person is this and this person is that. Jesus is just trying to give the example that then they will take and be able to look at the hearts of man. And so verse 12, we see the wayside. Verse 12 says, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. This represents a hard heart. Someone who has no inclination or desire to hear the word of God at all. You know, we all know plants don't grow very well on a well-worn path. I'm sure you've all seen it in a paddock where you've got a big paddock and where the tractors drive or maybe you've seen on the side of a hill where the, the cows or the whatever animals are in a paddock, they all walk the same patch. And what happens? There's no grass on it. It's very hard if you ever walk on it. Nothing grows on it because it's too hard. And that's the picture that Jesus is got getting at here. The, the way around the side of the track of the paddock is hard. And this is the heart of someone who has a hard heart. They've heard, you know, they may have heard the gospel hundreds of times, but they've got a hard heart. And it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Now, I'm no gardener. I'm free to admit that um, Hannah knows, uh, my wife Hannah knows that generally plants come to our place to die. Um, I'm not very good at keeping plants alive. My mother, incredible gardener. My grandfather is 92, 93 with a stiff leg. I don't know, he can grow anything. I don't know how he does it. Me, on the other hand, just, I just did not get that. But I know that if I dump a pack of seeds on the concrete out front of my place, I'm not going to get any fruit out of that. I'm not going to get a good plant out of that. 
no matter how many seeds I pile up there, no matter what I do, I could water it every day, it's not going to grow. There's nothing there for it to grow into. And that is the person that Jesus is describing here. Someone with a heart that you just can't do anything with. It's pointless. Pointless putting seed there. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't mention it here in this parable. But there is ways that the heart doesn't have to stay like that. There is a solution if that is you with a hard heart. You need to soften your heart and accept the word of God. Now, it can take a while to break down that hard heart, but you need to let Jesus into your heart to let him soften it, to let the seed have some soil. What does it mean to be saved? Well, we all know the ABCs of salvation, or maybe you don't. The ABC of salvation is A, you need to admit that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By admitting you're a sinner, do you know what you're doing? You're just softening a little bit. That hard heart is just softening a bit. B is to believe. You need to admit that you're a sinner. Believe. Acts 16.31 And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, most Aussies believe in a higher power, but we don't believe in God. By believing that there is a Christ, you're softening again. Giving that seed somewhere to go. And see by confessing, Romans 10, 9, if, we confess, uh, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. By doing these things, you're letting the seed into your heart. You're softening it so the seed can start to grow. So if you've got a hard heart, let the Lord in. So you can soften it. Verse 13 goes on to the stony ground. It says, And they on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Now this is where a bit of the conjecture I spoke about starts. Excuse me a second. Many people ask the question, you know, is this person saved? Is this person not saved? Is this, you know, what sort of, what sort of person does this represent? Now, I, I'll leave that up to you to believe what you think. But the stony ground is, well, actually, I'll explain a bit more in a second. But the stony ground is ground that they hear the word, but there's something in the way. Mark 4, 5 puts it this way. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. But then in verse 6 it says, But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. This person here, we're told that they, uh, they hear the word, and we're told that they receive the word with joy. Now I think that might mean they are saved. But I'll leave that up to you to decide. But this ground, the, the stony ground, is inside the ploughed area. It's in the area where the farmer was expecting to get his seed to grow. Now, he didn't know that there were rocks just under the surface from his ploughing. He just looked, looked pretty good to him, so he put seed there. It has a chance to grow. It starts to grow. But when the sun pops up, 
what happens? It withers away. There's no root. There's no, there's no solid grounding. They die away because they can't handle the heat. And this is many Christians today. They, they might look good. They look good on the outside. They come to church, but man, they're shallow. The slightest little thing pops up and they're blaming God. The slightest little thing pops up and they're falling away from church. This is happening because there's no root. There's no depth to their soil. The hard things of life get in the road of them being able to grow. The distractions, the temptations, the sins, the, all of those things, they're, they're nothing more than a little baby. A little baby Christian, they just never grew. They're never fruitful. They're never helpful. You know, when we grow stuff, we grow things for a reason. And we see that at, at, at the end, we'll look into that more. But you grow plants for a reason. You grow for the flowers, you grow for the fruit, you grow for the privacy screen. If the plant's a baby and not doing that, there's no use to it. It's pointless. Eventually you throw it out. And sadly, that is what often happens with the stony ground. It either gets plucked out or it's just, it just becomes nothing and dies away. Thankfully, like the, the first one, there is a solution to this too. We can ask God for strength to not fall into temptation, to not, to not have the sin to get the rocks in those, our lives that are affecting us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God's given us a way to get through this, to get rid of those stones, those things that would uh, affect us. We just have to go to him to get him help getting out of that. And then we need to desire the word of God. 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. There's ways we can go. The word of God is a way that we can grow and grow past those rocks or get rid of those rocks. You know, Luke 13 talks about the unfruitful tree and how it brings no glory to the grower. And what does it end up doing? Just being pulled out. Don't let that be you. But having seen the wayside, the stony ground, Jesus goes on to talk about the thorny ground. Excuse me. In verse 14, these, these are the people that have heard the word, they believe and they start growing. Verse 14 says, And, and that which fell upon, uh, among thorns are they, which when they heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, bringing no fruit to perfection. These are the ones that have never cleared space around them properly. They look like a good Christian. They probably look a whole lot more solid than the, the stony ground. They even have decent root structures and decent ways to uh, get around temptation when that heat beats on them. However, there's too many things competing for the same nutrients, for the same space, and they become useless. Matthew 13, 22 says, And he that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. These are things like, uh, these are the family, the jobs, the hobbies, the things that in themselves are good, but we've let them 
take away too much, giving them too much precedent in our life. And so all of a sudden, our ability to be a fruitful plant for our Savior is no good. The pleasures of this world, they've choked us out. It's an interesting uh, idea there at the end of verse 14 that says, bring no fruit to perfection. That idea is no mature fruit. I remember uh, about, it's about over 10 years ago now, we were in a little rental property in uh, the middle of Coffs Harbour. And when we arrived there, there was a a mature apple tree in the, the backyard. Now, I don't think apples are supposed to grow in Coffs Harbour. I don't think it's the ultimate climate, but we thought, oh, great, there's an apple tree. Let's try and see what we can do with this apple tree. So mum got in and she read up on how to look after an apple tree and we pruned it and we fertilised it and we did everything we could to get that apple tree in really good condition. And the tree looked great. But every time it came to, to uh, the fruiting season, it was hopeless. It brought forth little apples that were about this big they were deformed, they were bitter, they were sour, they were just horrible. In the end, we tried for several years and the landlord said, just, just cut it out, just get rid of it. It's in the way, get rid of it. And we were happy to do that. Why? Because it was a useless tree. It looked good, but the apples were disgusting. They were pointless. The fruit was useless. And that is the idea right here is this person they look good they look spiritual but realistically they're not helping the savior the fruit that they're bringing is bitter it's warped it's it's just no good and sadly it's just come about because people have put too much effort into the world they've let the cares of this world entangle them And I think the cure here to this is pretty obvious. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, very well-known verses says, Therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. We need to get rid of those weeds, those distractions, the, the, the weights that are holding us back. We need to dig around our plant. Do a bit of maintenance on it, garden it, remove the weed, fertilize it, get your life back in a position where it's able to bring forth good fruit. David put it this way in Psalm 139.23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Maybe that's what we need to do to, to clean up that thorny heart. And verse 15 goes on to explain the good ground. And that really needs little explanation. Verse 15 says, And that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. This here is a wonderful plant that has grown exactly as it should. And it's been fruitful. Matthew uh, 13, 23 says, But he that receiveth seed on the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which bringeth forth fruit. And bringeth forth some hundred, some thirty, some, uh, some sixty, some thirty. This is a wonderful plant that brings forth great fruit for uh, the master. And, you know, this is where we should all desire to be. First Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians 1.10 
says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. When we're fruitful, we're pleasing to God. When we've got good soil in our heart and are a productive Christian, we're pleasing to our Saviour. Philippians 1, 9 to 11 says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve these things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. The fruits of righteousness bring glory and praise to God. How wonderful is that? A plant like this is wonderful and pleasing to the Lord. A little side rabbit trail on this. Uh, something that really stood out to me. Where it says there in Matthew 13, 23, it says, uh, which bringeth, uh, beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. You know, we're all different people. Every single one of us is different. And, you know, I'm thankful for that. I love Brother Scotty, but a church full of Brother Scotties might be a bit overpowering. I don't know who would get an edgewise in, in, in a conversation. I don't know. But we're all different, and that's wonderful. But we're also different in the way we produce our fruit and what we can do for the Lord. And just because you're only producing 30 fruit, that's fine. Sometimes that's more fruitful than someone who should be producing 100 but only producing 30 or 50. You might be looking out going, oh, I should be doing more. Well, no, if, that's, if you're fulfilling your potential, you're bringing glory to God. If you should be bringing 100-fold and you're not, you could be bringing 50 in. But that's not bringing glory to God because you're not doing what you should be doing. And so don't worry about your productivity so much as making sure your seed is fine because as long as you're fulfilling your potential god will be glorified but before i close i want to just think about something in a little bit of a different way to bring all this sort of uh, to a head it's pretty clear what we can learn from this parable and that is what type of soil is your heart it's really a question that's between you and God because for the rest of us we can look at you and you might look like a really good Christian you might look the part but you could have a stony heart and so you're not producing so what type of heart your soil your heart has is between you and God and realistically, again, if you want to say that you're something you're not, the only person you're fooling is yourself because God knows your heart. So we must be honest. But the interesting thought I had here is that the heart that you have now is not the heart you're guaranteed to have in the future. If you have poor soil now, you can change that. And you can become a good soil. The same as if you have good soil now, if you get complacent, your heart can become full of weeds. Neglect 
And slackness can turn a good heart into unproductive soil. You know, even if you've been wonderful and had wonderful, soft, productive soil for 50 years in your heart, that doesn't guarantee next year is going to be the same. Farmers never sit still. Never, ever, ever does a farmer sit still. If they're not sowing, they're weed spraying, they're cultivating, they're doing what they've got to do, they're fertilising, whatever they've got to do, to keep that soil in good condition. And then they go and harvest. And then what do they do? There's more fertilizers, there's more, there's, uh, you know, there's weed spraying, there's cultivating, there's plowing. There's always work going on in a paddock. Why? Because if you leave it, it becomes unfruitful. Uh, many of you would remember my uncle Darren Finn. You've probably been to camps and all that, some of the older, older crew with him. He used to have a farm out towards sort of halfway between Tamworth and Gunnedah, a little place called Carroll. Beautiful little spot. It was tucked up on a hill. Just gorgeous. I loved it up there. But his farm, when he got there, hadn't been used as a farm for over, I think it was 10 to 15 years. Now, the soil, if you're, if you're familiar with that area, that whole Gunnedah plains has a wonderful black soil, really fertile, really good for growing plants. But when Darren arrived at his property, it just looked like scrub. Why? Because it'd been left untouched for 10 years. It was just like any other vacant weed-filled, scrub-filled paddock because it had been left. And that can happen in our lives. I mentioned this verse uh, earlier in Sunday school where it says uh, in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The devil's trying to make our hearts unfruitful and, and not fit for purpose. He's looking, we know the parable of there's the parable where the, the, the thieves got in there and sowed tears in with the wheat. The devil's trying to do that to us. We need to be vigilant, or that is to, to be actively cautious over the soils of our heart. Because if we don't, the weeds get out of control. The rocks get out of control. And we become a weak, inhibited plant. And the soil that we have is so important that we give special attention to. And you know, it's interesting too because the rocks and the weeds that we have in our lives change throughout our lives. This is one of the reasons we have to be so careful. Because the, the challenge that I have now as a, what am I, 35 year old, are totally different to what I had when I was 25. I'm married now, I, you know, I'm a, a ministry leader at church and, and you know, I own a house and a, all of this stuff are things that I didn't have at 25. And so the challenges that I face now are totally different to then. But they're also different to the challenges that I, that I faced when I was 15. And no doubt, in 10 years' time, the challenges I face will be different. And the challenges that I face are different to the challenges my parents face and my grandparents face. And so we must be careful 
that we don't get complacent. The farmers are always changing the weed sprays they use. Why? Because there's different weeds for different seasons. And we must be careful of that. It's a really interesting thing at the Darren's, back out at Darren's place at Gunnedah. Uh, the soil is this wonderful black soil. But for some reason, I don't understand the, the, the understanding of it. Maybe our ag teacher here can, can give us an example later. But his farm would constantly have rocks coming to the surface. When I got there, there was piles of rocks all over the in corners of paddocks and stuff. And I said to Darren, I said, what, what's with all the rocks? You've got piles of rocks everywhere. He said, well, because what happens is over time, the, as rain comes and the like, the, the rain settles the soil and pushes rocks to the surface. And then a bit of erosion happens as it washes away and pushes rocks to the surface. And so every season, they have to go through and plough to get rid of the rocks. And I thought how apt that is for our lives. That how often there are little things that just keep bubbling to the surface. And we might remove it, but then another thing bubbles to the surface and affects us. And so for the soils of our life, we have to be on top of that. Because even when we think we've got rid of them all, others can pop up. Uh, many of you would know Lester from our church. Awesome fella. And he's uh, an awesome gardener. I don't know, he's one of these fellas that's really good with gardening. And I was at their place oh, a few years ago and he was, I was talking about what he's going to do and he's like, well, I've got to get in and get the weeds out before they get too big and overtake the veggies. I'm like, well, when did you weed last? He goes, oh, last week. I'm like, oh, the perfect picture of our life. You can pull them all out. But our sinful nature means that rocks and the weeds, they're always coming our way. The distractions, the temptations, the sin, they're always bubbling up. And they're always affecting our lives, the, the different stages of our lives. The, we have to be so careful with this because they are there and they are making a difference to us. So my question is, do you need to do some gardening in your heart? Do you need to have a full and honest look and say, you know what, my heart was good soil six months ago, but I've let rocks in. I've let weeds in. I've let the cares of this world to take over my heart. And so that the fruit that I'm producing for the saviour is now bitter or I'm, could, I should be producing more than I actually am. My good soil has changed from being that perfect, good, soft soil to one full of obstructions. Yeah, we're really blessed in our churches here. You know, I know I'm very thankful for Pastor Davies. He comes down to Bible college and teaches us and I know you get wonderful preaching and teaching from God's word here every week. And we read the Bible, I'm sure. I pray that all of you read your Bible regularly. And... But how we receive that is so important. How the seed of God's word is received into our heart is so important.
So do you have a hard heart? One that's just don't, doesn't care? Trust the Lord today. Make that right. Do you have a rocky heart? And your, your life is just producing not much. You're struggling to get over those, those hurdles of life. Look to the master. Look to our saviour. Look for the benefits of, that we have in the Christian walk to get rid of those rocks. Maybe you've got thorny ground. You've let the cares of this world encroach your heart and is choking you spiritually. And that you're just unprofitable. You're not producing fruit. Get rid of those thorns. And I should say, you know, getting rid of rocks and thorns is a hard process. Because what do you have to do to, to get rid of rocks and weeds? You have to disturb the surface. And we, as, as, as people, we don't like being disturbed. We enjoy our comfort zone, the places we are. It does hurt. It does ruffle the feathers. But it's for the master's glory to do that. Now, I pray that we all have good soil, that we're fulfilling our duty and bringing wonderful fruit to the master. But let's not be complacent. Let's make sure we stay on top of that so that in 10 years' time, we're still producing the fruit that God would have for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this simple story. We thank you for, um, Lord, that you taught in parables. But Lord, I pray that we would each search our heart honestly this morning. Lord, if, if we need to pull out some weeds, distractions, cares of this world, if we need to change our change something up so that we can once again become a faithful and fruitful Christian. Lord, may we do that. May you convict us, challenge us. Lord, show us what we need to do so that we can have good soil. Lord, be with us now as we close this service in your name. Amen. Thanks, Brother Darren.